Happy New Year. <laughs> it's good to be back <clears throat> with you today. Last weekend was kind of tough, but uh, fortunately, at least for me, that uh, bronchitis flu bug didn't last too long, and so uh, I think I'm back pretty much to normal. As we begin a new year, we come back to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to uh, begin where Jesus really blossoms in his public ministry. Uh, We start with Luke's account of the call of Peter and some of his uh, colleagues in the fishing business to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and from here on out, the expansion of the ministry uh, grows tremendously in the public way. If you'd like to uh, follow me from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, I'm reading this morning from the New English Translation, and uh, it just, uh, I think, reads well and represents the original language quite well in this passage. If you have something else, uh, you'll understand why there may be some wording differences. Luke, beginning in chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing around him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets started to tear. So they motioned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so they were about to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's business partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. So when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Gracious Father, as we open your word this morning and consider these verses, I pray that you would speak to our hearts from them. I ask you to soften our hearts and make them receptive to your message. I pray that you would give us insight, perception into what is happening here, and that we ourselves would respond even as Peter and his associates in obedience to what you have shown us. I ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. How many of you have ever spent a night camping perhaps or uh, in a cottage or something by the lake, any lake, uh, and gotten up early in the morning uh, about daybreak and discovered a calm and glassy surface? Looks just like a mirror. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? That to me is one of the most beautiful, uh, peaceful scenes. Uh, a few years ago, um, Mike and Jan Piasecki, um, while they were uh, out of town for several weeks, invited me to come and spend uh, some time in their home uh, down in Muhammad, which is right on the lake. And one of my favorite times uh, being down there was to get up in the morning while it was still dark, or at least just at daybreak, and uh, to sit on the porch or even go down by the lake and just watch the sun come up. And the lake would just be glassy smooth, except for an occasional duck or something that would make a ripple, you know. And when the water's like that, it, it, is, a, it is a perfect sound system. You can hear sound skip across the surface, uh, in a way that's just not possible at other times. Luke tells us in this account that Jesus was teaching by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, Luke is actually referring to the Sea of Galilee, and he's calling it by its official term, its official name. In fact, Sea of Galilee is not used outside of the gospel writings. For most Romans and historians and whatever, um, this is the lake of Gennesaret, and uh, that was how they knew that. It was sort of a colloquialism or a local name to call it the Sea of Galilee, but we're talking about the same place. And Jesus had made his headquarters up on the north end of the lake near Capernaum, and around that region, there were natural coves that were perfect for people who were in the fishing business because uh, you could come in off of the lake proper into kind of an inlet, and uh, that would be a good place to um, uh, moor your boats or whatever during the day. And fishermen who were professional fishermen would typically... Uh, go out at night, I guess during the daytime. I'm not this kind of fisherman, so I don't know this except by reading it. But I guess during the daytime, fish can actually perceive the net. But at night, they're not able to, and so they're more likely to be caught in the net. And uh, so they fish at night. And uh, in some of the areas up there, there was one particular place that some of the commentators feel may have been the place that Luke is referring to, it was kind of a natural amphitheater where the, the surrounding land kind of came sloping down toward the water and then the water formed this natural inlet, kind of a U-shape, forming a perfect amphitheater kind of uh, environment. And it was at least in something like this where Jesus is teaching. And I just want to set that scene for you to see this early morning, placid water, um, but the crowds are there and they're anxious to hear. 
And the scripture says they're literally pressing Jesus to hear the word of God. And looking over to the side, he sees a boat. Uh, It happens to be Simon's boat, and I don't think that's an accident. But he selects that boat to get into it, and he asks Simon to put out a little ways. Now, these boats were not handled by one person. A typical fishing boat that Simon might have used would have been about 25 to 30 feet long. It would have been about 8 feet at its beam, and it would have been 4 or 5 feet deep. Uh, whatever the water line was. So it was a pretty good sized boat and it took a crew of several to handle it, usually four or five people to handle the boat. And so um, he goes over to the boat, asks Simon to put out, which means Simon has to kind of drop what he's doing, get his crew together, and they put out a little bit from the shore. And here you can, can kind of see the scene that Jesus is out of ways, speaking across the water, the crowd has surrounded him, and he is teaching them, the scripture says, the word of God. Now, you know, I have always thought of myself as preaching or teaching the word of God. But I'm referring to the Bible, from which I am expounding truth. And I am hoping that the things that I am saying prayerfully are, in fact, the anointed proclamation of the gospel. But the reality is, is that I'm just a man, uh, a mere man, a sinful man who has been redeemed by grace, and I'm subject to error. I hope that you are always willing to put to the test anything I say against the scriptures to, to validate the message that I bring. But Jesus is speaking infallibly. They're amazed at his authority. He speaks to them, well, as if he wrote the book, which in fact he did. And he's teaching them with this authority. And the scripture says, when he had finished um, teaching, he says to Simon, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. And Simon answers, Master, really, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Now, get this scenario in your mind. They, this was their chore. After every night's fishing, whether they caught fish or not, they had to clean their nets. Cleaning the nets, those of you that have ever used a net... Um, you know that as soon as you put it in the water, you have to clean it. It can just be there a minute, but when you take it up, it's going to have grasses and stuff in it, and you're going to have to clean the net, Um, or or you're going to have a mess on your hands. It's going to start rotting, and it's just going to be a disaster. So if you're going to take care of your stuff, you have to clean the net. And that was their responsibility Every single time they came in after a night, they would have to clean the nets. Now, what were the nets like? Well, you may imagine in your mind that, uh, you know, they were these little round things that you see sometime in the pictures. You just toss out, maybe pull in half a dozen fish. But no, these nets typically might have been the size of this room. 
in some cases, in this period of time, the nets that they used, they would use with two boats in tandem, and they would go out a ways, and they would start dropping the net, and they would move together, laying the net down, and it could be as much as 500 feet long as they strung the net out, and then they would go and start taking it up uh, and pulling in the, the catch that would come from that. So these, this is not a simple job. You spent your night fishing, you're ready to go home, but your work's not done. You've got two or three or four hours of cleaning nets before you can go home and sleep during the day and relax so that you can go back out for another night's fishing. And, and this is kind of where, what Peter and Andrew and James and John have been doing. They, they've been getting their nets ready and they're kind of disappointed. It's been a, a futile night. They haven't had any... Uh, luck at all they haven't caught a single fish not one and um, now Jesus is suggesting to them that they undo all of that and start over let down your nets you know and you can just kind of see Peter going ah oh master really we fished all night and we didn't get anything. And by the way, we're professionals. We're the fishermen. Last time I checked, you're the carpenter. What do you know about fishing? <laughs> There's nothing out there. But because it's you, and you've said so, we'll do it. I mean, you can just kind of hear all of that in his response. And so the scripture says that they get the crew together, they row the boat out further, they get into the deep water, the net goes down. All right, time to take it up. And all of a sudden, it's so full, they can hardly pull it. It begins to tear. They signal to their partners, come help us. And they come out there and they start hauling this net in. And it's just filled with fish. They start pulling them into the boat. Two boats. And uh, the, the way that these boats were designed, there was kind of like a cover on the front and a cover in the back, but the center was open and they could uh, pull the catch, just pull it right in on the, on the bottom of the ship. And they start pulling in the fish and all of a sudden, both boats are filled and the boats are starting to sink. This is the biggest catch they've ever seen in their life. And all of a sudden, notice what it says, but when Simon, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet fell down by his knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The word see here, it can mean simply to see, but it often is used in terms of to perceive, to understand. Something has happened to Peter. You know, we always think of Peter as the loudmouth. And he really is the first one to run his mouth whenever something's going on. Peter's always talking. But he's also the first one to see. 
to perceive what's going on. He's the one that says, whom do you say that I am? And he says, well, uh, you're the Messiah of God. You're, you're the Lord Christ. You're the Son of God. There's no question. Uh, he is the one who perceives. And in this case, he perceives. He sees what's going on. The miracle that he has witnessed has spoken to him that this is God's action. Now, I find it interesting that some of the uh, commentators, as they talk about this passage, they refer to it as being um, Jesus' omniscience. I don't, like he knew where the fish were. You know, he's like the first radar, fish radar. I don't think that that's at all what's going on here. Um, first of all, there, there have never been in Peter's history that many fish in one place. And um, I think we've said enough in the past to understand that Jesus' knowledge was limited to revelation by the Holy Spirit. But the scripture says he is the last Adam, the second man. And remember in Genesis, how many times have I said that? Remember in Genesis, everything starts there. In the chapter 1, uh, God has created Adam and Eve, male and female, has created them. And he says to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over it, over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and everything that creeps upon the ground have dominion. And I believe that in Jesus' capacity as the second Adam, that he is exercising authority over the fish of the sea. I think basically what he did was he said, fish in the net. And he called them to this place. But, however that happened. But Peter recognizes that this is a divine miracle. This is not something that human beings can accomplish on any ordinary scale. This is a divine miracle. He has heard the teaching of Jesus. He has listened to the word of God expounded. Now he is in the presence of this one who has just filled their nets and their boats to the point of breaking and sinking. And Peter perceives that he is in the presence of the Holy One. I really think, I don't know if he knows yet that this is Messiah, for sure, but he knows this is a Holy One from God. He recognizes that. And as he falls at his feet, he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. There are a number of reasons why people want to get away from Jesus. Some people want to get away from him because they are sinners and they know it and they like it. And they don't want to stop their sinning and they come under conviction and they run. They, they just, they want, the gospel has made them feel guilty and they don't have any intention of changing and they want to get away from the, the person and the message. But in other cases there is this sense of godly conviction this complete sense of being undone, of like Isaiah when he was in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter 6, 
and he falls down on his face and he says, Woe is me, for I am a, a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people who have unclean lips. He is beholding the God of glory in the temple and he says, I am only aware of my sin. And this is where Peter is. Peter has become aware of his sin. He has recognized that he is really guilty before a holy God. And his sense of conviction is like, Lord, I am not worthy to be anywhere near you. Depart from me. Notice the difference between this and the crowds. They kind of want Jesus to hang out and keep giving them free food. And here Peter the fisherman has a golden opportunity to have as a partner, you know, somebody that can just manufacture nets full of fish. And he's not at all interested in that. He senses the spiritual implications of all that's happening. And his sense is, I am not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me. And Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid. Now, friends, when you become aware of your sin in the presence of God, if you have any sense, like Isaiah, Woe is me. I'm in trouble. I am really in trouble. And that was part of Peter's reaction. And Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people alive. Now, the word alive doesn't occur in any translation I'm aware of. Maybe it does, and I haven't seen it yet. But it is in the original language. That word zoe, the word for life, is tucked right in the middle of the, the, the verb to catch alive. And, and it means, you've been catching fish, Peter, and that's been a fatal event for them. But from now on, you're going to be catching people. And those people are going to be captured alive and brought to life eternal. And the scripture says, so when they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. People ask all kinds of interesting questions, like, what did they do with the fish? <laughs> Come on, that's not the point of the story here. I don't know what they did with the fish. Somehow I don't think they were terribly interested in the fish. I don't know, maybe they got to shore and, and said to their other buddies, hey, we got two boatloads, but we're going to go follow Jesus. They're yours for the taking. I don't know what went through their mind, but the scripture says that the encounter was so significant that Peter and Andrew and James and John left their boats and their nets and they began to follow Jesus Christ. The real message of this lesson is that Jesus calls us to discipleship. He calls us to be followers.
when our eyes are opened and we see who he is and we recognize uh, what he is and will do and, and our own need, the call is always to discipleship, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There are many people who think there are categories of Christians. There's type A and there's type B or whatever, maybe type C, those are the super gurus. And then uh, type B, those are, those are the, the serious disciples. And then type A, well, those are the, those are the ones that, um, yeah, they want their sins forgiven and they want to, to get to heaven, but, you know, they're not really particularly interested in being too fanatical about following Jesus. I mean, just, just get me to heaven when I die. And friends, I want you to recognize something this morning. There is no such thing as type A. There are some people who have come to Christ and the world has disturbed them and they are convoluted in their own commitment. They're struggling. But no one ever comes to Jesus and says, gee, I'd like to go to heaven, so I'll take the cross. I'll take the atonement. But... Um, I don't really want to change a whole lot. So could you just fix my sin and, uh, and, and kind of leave me alone till I die? No one comes to Christ like that. And if you're honest, you know that in your heart of hearts. Some people may give that impression, but it's simply not true. There is no way to come to Christ without becoming a follower of Christ. Jesus says this in so many places and in so many ways. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I came to bring division between a father and a mother, between a husband and a wife, between parents and children. I came to, to segregate and separate those who are my followers and those who are still in the world. Unless a man is willing to uh, lay down his life and die to his own ambitions and his own desires and his own interests and follow me. He cannot be my disciple. It is true that salvation and forgiveness and the atonement of our sin is absolutely free because Jesus paid the price. But it is not true that it comes without uh, any commitment to believe in Him means to commit our lives to Him. It means to follow Him, to be that follower of Jesus Christ. And He makes it plain in this passage. Come and follow Me. Become My disciple. That's what I want of you. And for Peter and his colleagues, it meant that they would literally have to leave their vocations. I, I want us to recognize this morning that the call to surrender is a call to every person. 
But sometimes, in fact, most of the time, when you've made that commitment, God, whatever your vocation is, whatever your training is, whatever, God takes you back with all of those things fully surrendered, and He begins to work through you in that place that you have become accustomed to. He works through you in your company. He works through you in your neighborhood. He works through you in in, in the various uh, tasks and responsibilities that you have. But there are some people, when they surrender all, he says, now lay it down and follow me. Vocationally, you are going to walk away from everything you've known and you are going to give me 100% of your devotion, your time, your commitment. And he says to Peter, that's what I'm expecting of you. From now on, you will be one who catches people alive from now on. Do you notice the finality of that? There's not an option. Jesus is not saying, look, I have a few positions open. It's, uh, I need 12 apostles. I'm going to open these positions. Would you like to submit a resume? I'll be taking interviews after a couple of years, and we'll see who you know, passes the test. There's no option. From now on, you will be. And that means clearly, Peter, you're going to leave your nets, you're going to leave your boats, you're going to leave the life you've known, and you're going to go where I send you. And your vocation is going to be fishers of men. So in the midst of that, why is this story so significant about the fish in the net? Well, the message that I take away from that is this. Jesus says, do not worry about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat or those kinds of things. Your father knows that you need it. In fact, he goes so far as to say, when, when you worry about that kind of stuff, you're behaving like a pagan, like an unbeliever. That, that's what they do. They, they worry about all that stuff. How am I going to buy clothes? How am I going to buy groceries? How am I going to feed my family? How am I, I going to retire? How am I going to get this done? How am I going to do that? that? They spend their whole time worried about that. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. I am Lord of all. And I can fill a net with fish in the blink of an eye. Provision is my responsibility. Obedience is yours. Follow me. He wants all of us to know that the commitment to discipleship comes with it an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ who is the provider, who is the one who cares for us, who's the one who meets us. You know, and I, and I know that 
sometimes we have a tough time. I know we have struggles. I, I know sometimes we don't know how ends are going to meet. But I'm also confident that if we come into that relationship with Christ where we commit everything to him, he will make a way. He's promised to. That's his problem. It's his responsibility. And I think for Peter, there's that clear demonstration. You follow me and become a fisher of men, and I will take care of you. You don't have to worry about how you're going to catch fish. I'll meet your practical needs, your daily needs, but you follow me and become a fisher of men. Father, as we start this new year, and we take stock, perhaps, of where we are, and we look at our priorities, I pray that you would cause us to examine the depth of our commitment, that we would be willing to take the hard look at whether or not we have truly surrendered everything to your Lordship. And I ask you this morning to encourage us, first of all, with your forgiving, cleansing, atoning blood and power, and then to encourage us with the confidence of your care and provision that we might embrace the life of being faithful disciples, to be those who are committed to you. Completely. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.